When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are ready for the podcast. Welcome today, Henry, producing on the comms. People didn't know what you were doing. They were confused if you were going to chat with me. I'm going to chat with you. I'm okay. going to try. <laughs> I already fucked up the cameras uh, by going back and forth, so sorry for that. But I'm going to try my best to talk and manage the podcast. Beautiful. So let's go into something easy before hard. Liver King. Mm. It's very sorry. He's absolutely sorry. He didn't mean to. Um, and people hurt themselves every day, so... Yeah, no, it was uh, it was um, interesting to watch that apology. I think you can sense my my reception of it was I was pretty impressed by the lack of ownership taken, even though the words "I fully own this" were stated. Right. Um, the there were, so for those of you who aren't following, more plates, more dates. A YouTube channel made a video exposing this guy, the Liver King, who uh, lists a lot of weights, does a lot of. Really interesting, crazy stuff, including some things that people laugh at, uh, like, you know, tanning your the underside of your body <laughs> yep. um, in a primal way. And he looks like he is on steroids. And for, it sounds like a lot of people in the know is undeniably looks like you can't get that physique at his age without it, but had aggressively denied it when asked and insisted that that would be completely antithetical to everything that he teaches uh, then there's these leaked emails that are exposed by Derek from More Plates, More Dates, indicating that he's on a whole host of steroids, as well as has a strong desire to use them to boost his social media profile. Like the purpose of getting in this incredible shape in his life is not to simply grow his businesses, which he's done, it's to get social media famous. And so he makes this, Liver King then acknowledges in his apology that uh, he did, in fact, is, in fact, on steroids, did, in fact, use steroids. Um, seems to uh, not own the entirety of the steroid stack that he was on, but I thought the part that made it just, I can't receive this because it feels like you're not being frank with me, was the, I never imagined this would happen, never thought that this would happen thing, when in the emails, a smaller point was that he indicated his main aim was to get super famous by having an impossible-to-attain physique. Um, and then in the video, while he says the words, I take full ownership, I fucked up, this is my fault, there's quick deflections to uh, lots of men hurt themselves or off themselves or do all this kind of stuff. And um, so I have to do what I, it, it's, it's unclear what it says. So I see you nodding. No, I'm uh, no longer active, active listening, so it's difficult, <laughs> but... He mentions a few things in the apology that's like, for the 9,000 men, I had to do this because mm -hmm. I had to save you. I had to, I had to have the nine ancestral and, uh, tenants. And for that, I am not sorry. And mm -hmm. it's a little of that I saw we had some reaction to. We can, we can name that, which is when you refuse to apologize for something that you were not asked to apologize for, thereby insinuating that people are attacking you upon vectors that are inappropriate. That's, that's a thing. I don't know what the name for that would be, but it is, again, not to stand squarely in the accusation, which I would say is you are promoting a impossible-to-attain physique while offering a specific set of criteria that people can do to be more like you, including the nine ancestral tenants, including buying your products. Um, and then on the second half, which I, I believed was true, was he says that he suffers from low self-esteem, which I thoroughly believe. But again, even that felt used. It was like um, it was calculated vulnerability in order to attain... A deflective posture and like the problem is if if you're saying that you which I believe he says at one point which I thought was the most honest moment of the entire apology where he says I beat myself up in the gym I work so hard because I have such low self-esteem so I break my back trying to do things to make me feel better I totally commiserate with that but what I would like to see is not that you shouldn't do these nine ancestral tenants but maybe there's something missing 
maybe maybe this way of doing things is lacking or is too much or like maybe you shouldn't promote yourself as the guru who has it all when in fact the way that you are doing things and feeling is not conducive to you having a sense of inner flourishing. Um, and that's not to say that incomplete people can't be teachers or be on social media, but I do think that it's important that uh, you own the state of your experience so that people who might follow you can decide if they want to opt into the way of life and the style of things that you promote. Beautiful. I also have a general distrust of his entire business model mm-hmm. prior to this of being a very famous and successful businessman with multi-million dollar mm-hmm. company, knowing that he's willing to lie to people in off camera. Like that was a big thing that also struck me in the more place, mm-hmm. more dates video. It was like, my friends talked to him off camera. Like, come on, man. Like, so what are you on? Like, you, I'm cool with you doing mm-hmm. it on my show, but what are you on? It's like, no, I'm totally natural. And so it might, seems to me like, I feel like it's all a grift now. Like mm. your supplement company clearly didn't get you these natural results. Neither do your nine ancestral tenets keep you happy and healthy. And uh, I'm dubious of the liver king now. Yeah, I think uh, that's fair. I, I, I think, unfortunately, this is the thing that you can do to yourself. And, I, and if, you, if you tell lies, and they're not even the more common lies of omission, they're lies of commission. You are actively saying and then when challenged, pushing back against the challenge, mm. and, you're only ex- and you're only even fessing up to anything when hardcore exposed by something else, it becomes very difficult to take anything that you say that sounds a little bit impressive seriously. So, like, the, I agree with you. Like, the hundreds of millions of dollars, I won't, I don't believe it. Not because I have any evidence not to, but I also have no reason to, given yep. your track record. Um, and you have established a track record of lying to get me to believe things about you that would be advantageous for you to have me believe. Um, so yeah, we don't need to spend too much time. I'm not, I'm not here. I, I thought it was a particularly interesting case study. And if we had to zoom out and say, okay, what is happening here? It's unfortunate, but I think that in order to attain the highest levels of fame, money, and influence in the world, um, it's really tough to get there without a gaping hole inside of your heart because once you have put a number on it x million or or um x many followers like if you're not if you haven't if you're not satisfied with that or you haven't realized that that doesn't lead to satisfaction the only people who are playing the game at his at that level not only i'm not saying only because i think that you can also do what you love but it gets increasingly hard to get more and more amounts of money and continue to steamroll forward um, if there's not something deeply missing. And, and I do think he was so honest when he said, I beat myself up because I don't feel good enough, so I lift heavy weights and I work so hard and I try to you know, make myself more externally so that I can feel like more internally. Did you want to add? Yeah, I'm a little bit wondering if that's in limiting belief. I also share that. Mm-hmm. I also assume that the guy who's got everything figured out and is content within himself probably doesn't do social media in a certain way sort of like the actual guru thing is a the archetype of a guy in tattered clothing. So I'm wondering if that's a individual limiting belief of a mm-hmm. guy who can ha- be it all, have it all, and operate in these avenues, or um, it's just a true archetype. Yeah. Well, I think that, I do think, I, I'm not making a hard rule that says if you have over X amount of money or over X amount of followers, you must have this gaping hole. I don't believe that. There was a guy whose name I forget, Feeney, who's, you know, got billions of dollars and nobody really knows his name and he gives it away and he donated a lot of it during his lifetime. I, I don't know the guy, but the sense that you get is that he was felt connected to the things that he was doing. And it was not simply for the self-aggrandizement of being seen by a lot of people and being held in high esteem by a lot of people to compensate for the lack of esteem in which he held himself. The social media side of things is very tempting because we've talked about this. The word that I often hear used in entrepreneur circles is impact. And while I don't think that having a big reach is one-to-one correlated, I have seen people trick themselves with this word impact. And from sitting in my 
subjective perspective, the behaviors that I see are not simply impact. It's like scale of being noticed <laughs> as opposed to uh, impact. And I think that something to keep in mind is, yeah, if you're incapable of slowing down to connect with an individual because you've constantly got to do scale, that's kind of a red flag. And uh, those sorts of things, I'm sure there's others that I could point to and uh, try to make myself aware of, whoops, in myself. But it's, it's unfortunate that our, and I think built into the structure of the system, that the most influential people will ha- likely have glaring blind spots that they carry with them that is stuck inside of the advice that they give you, even though I believe, take Liver King, for example, probably, I don't, many of his ancestral tenets are very good for a lot of people. I looked them up. They're great. Yeah. Move. (laughs) Shield. Don't, which is don't use too much social media. Sleep. Mm -hmm. Eat. Mm -hmm. Walk. (laughs) It's amazing generic advice uh, that works. Barefoot on the grass. Get into some cold water. Exactly. Do a sauna. uh, Protect yourself from those things that are truly deleterious to your health. That's, yeah, lots of good advice in there. And that shouldn't be thrown out. But I do think that you have to approach these most successful, or anybody, you know, forget most successful. uh, These blind spots are just, they're in there. And there's a particular blind spot that seems to be shared by people that, hit the highest levels of fame and money, which is a need for external stuff to make you feel good on the inside. Right. Uh, but it's not one-to-one. I think there's artists that can just like attain superhuman levels of fame and influence by creating from their heart consistently. So I don't think it's one-to-one. You want to add? No, I'm waiting for you. I want to let you go to the next subject, whatever you're thinking. Cool. There's a lot, and this is going to be all over the place. Okay. Gosh, where should I go? So this is one of... Um, been doing breathwork one i'll recommend evan's course again um he's got a breathwork thing on youtube it's i've done several breathworks i think this one is especially good and i've spoken to him he put a lot of himself into it a lot of care um we will tag it in the thing it's free i've actually spoken with him about building a larger breathwork course i don't know if it's going to work but when i think of charisma on command and the you know really good levels of confidence and mindset and the stuff that we're building in my own life, this has been the natural progression of the stuff that I feel most impacts the way that I feel. So it seems natural to move to that. I don't know what it looks like in a course because we're still exploring that. We'll see. Mm -hmm. But there's a breath work that you can use that I've been doing very frequently. And uh, one of the things that I got, which I thought was interesting, is that a lot of the habits that have really, really good things in them can have a shadow side. And one of those habits that came up for me was the habit of expressing gratitude as you feel it. So there's a common refrain, which is whenever you think of somebody and there's, you know, you think something nice, send them a text or leave them a note. And that's obviously very nice and very kind. And I am not unrecommending that from anyone. What I found in myself, and I think this is true of any time that you get stuck on a behavior or a habit disconnected from the feeling, and you'd become like a little bit too machine-like in your execution, is that that habit for me runs the risk of, I'm doing breath work, I feel this intense gratitude, and before the breath work is over, I'm thinking of the text that I need to send. And then rather than go deeper into gratitude and feel the depth of my gratitude or move through the rest of the breath work and get even more insights, I'm feeling, I'm thinking about this gratitude and it feels nice, but I realize I am limiting my experience of gratitude. And I think of a lot of things in my life by being so quick to feel that I need to get it out of myself and into somebody else. And I eventually had a breath work where I sat with the gratitude for longer and it knocked me over. I was, I couldn't handle it. It was too overwhelming. It made me cry and uh, feel totally unworthy of the, magnitude of things that I have to be grateful for. And I think that's that can be, I know, a shadow side of this expressing gratitude is I can only handle this much. Let me eject from this experience, give you that thing, make you feel good. You can reflect that you feel good back to me and I can call it a day. And I have noted that that is maybe not for everybody, but when I do these psychedelic experiences and breathwork, that's an incredibly common experience for me is that I'm always thinking, what am I going to share? How am I going to be able to communicate this with my audience, with other people? 
how can I get them to get it? And it is a limiter for me. This, And what I realize is it's not just a nice thing. It is a lack of capacity to hold all of the wonderful things and feelings that could possibly occur inside of me because it it just feels overwhelming and makes me feel deeply unworthy of like that level of goodness. So I don't know what that means for this because I feel like I'm going to be less capable if I lean into this of communicating my experiences. I uh, If I'm not remembering them in language, I can't communicate them in the same way on the podcast. Maybe I'll be different on the podcast. And that can impact people. And maybe, I was thinking, that's what these gurus have, which is you just sit with them and you feel different. They don't teach you necessarily about gratitude. They don't explain it to you. But the depth of their own feeling is contagious. Uh, So I don't know. And it's scary to let go of this, I've got something, I can transmit it, we can both hang on to it, versus I'm in charge of allowing this feeling to move through me and maybe be forgotten without getting expressed. It's like it, it's challenging and scary to me. We have a little men's retreat coming up later this week, and uh, this is something that I want to bring to it uh, specifically. And so it will be psychedelic-infused. <laughs> Let's go. Tell your local law enforcement officer. <laughs> Come find me. Got the camera by on the, me. By, by the time this goes up, actually, I'll be I'll be out the other end probably. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely want to bring um, that, that unworthiness to that experience and really bring it out and see it. Because, you know, there was the first time the word unworthy was two weeks ago ever, like, connected with me at all. Um, so very, very deeply buried. Uh, okay. And other things that have come, these have, a lot of these have come from breath work. So I, I will say like, that's been very useful. I've also, I've, I've got a whole routine of things that I do that has been helpful to me, but that's one of them. Uh, another thought that I have is how I've spread my help. And so I mentioned codependency in the podcast about why Ben is in here. One of the things that I've noticed is that this codependent tendency in me struggles with people who struggle near me because I feel so, I can feel either one of two ways, very disconnected from it in a way that like people would comment that I could just make morbidly dark jokes at like no problem. Like I could be so separate from something or so connected that I can't handle it and feel the need to jump in and fix it. And that is true of major things, minor things. The way that I even coach inside of the business is, is I am overly helpful. And it's not a mean helpful, but I, do, I think it is not in everybody's best interest helpful. Um, or, you know, disconnected, don't want to deal with it, handle it, because I can't. People struggling near me is a challenge for me. So what I've realized is that my, the way that I you know, have focused my capacity to help is really to the people who are closest to me, who I see as struggling, whether or not they are asking for support and help. And as I've tried to change that to slowing down on those people who are not asking, because if somebody's not asking for help, I'm realizing how impossible it is to deeply help someone who does not want that help. Like on occasion, you can open someone up, persuade them, move them, and that's been my MO. Like I took, I took our whole family to do MDMA and psilocybin, but it took me five years of talking about it and talking about it. And, you know, and finally, and it was, it was a great, I'm glad everyone did, but uh, it was a lot of work to get a limited number of people yeah. <laughs> to do this one thing, which I'm glad I did. And they're now uh, each on their own journey that does not feel like I am driving it, which is fantastic. But that, as I've scaled that back a little bit and I notice, okay, this person's not open, this person's not open. Tangentially, I'll have conversations with people that I might not have talked to in a long time that are open to help. And it feels so different. It feels so different to give help that is looking to be received because it's implemented so quickly and it's received and in 24 hours they've done it and they're looking for the next step. And 
it's it's just wild. And I'm able to be more effective. I'm actually helping, I would say, more people because per unit of advice, more stuff is getting integrated. And it just reminds me of something that this is a, a minor application of it, but I think anybody on the internet or with a book will tell you that one of the rarest things is like, you get all these people reaching out to you. Hey, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And it's such a rare experience, even with those people, to have anyone take what you said and put it into practice. Right. So on the rare occasions that somebody in the Patreon or whatever is like, I did that thing. What's step two? I did step two. What's step three? I did step three. That's like, holy cow. Like, I, that's, that's totally unexpected. And it just made me realize that what I understand as help is not what most people want or need, even, and this is the difficulty for me, even if a year or two down the line, they say, oh man, you were right. It wasn't help at that moment. You know, they weren't ready to do that thing, start the business, uh, leave their job, enter a relationship, exit a relationship, explore that family dynamic, even if that winds up being the conclusion and I was correct in my assessment of what would eventually happen, I was at the wrong moment in the process to interject that that push because it was ineffective. So trying to learn that. Question. So yeah. what do you do with the people you refuse to let go of <laughs> and keep giving advice? Um, I'm figuring that out, man. Maybe this journey will <laughs> help me. Because there's definitely people that you're just like, yeah, no, I'm not giving up on that one. Uh, going to keep yeah, yeah. giving that one advice. Yeah. Um, try to be helpful. Um, yeah, exes in the past that you're just like, mm-hmm. this is good. Um, you got it. You yeah. got it. Well, what I'm learning is that there's a really subtle line between seeing what someone could be, could become, and accepting them as they are. And the that it's a there's a real subtlety of where love is depending on where you are. Because I don't think that the most loving thing to do is in the reductive sense of the word, just be like, you are the way that you are. I will never disturb the way that you see yourself. I will never call attention to the fact that you are playing small or something else. Um, I don't think that that is, one, the definition of acceptance or of love. Um, and on the other side of going, like, you could be more, I know that I'm right, I'm, I'm your coach always, I'm your cheerleader always, that doesn't wind up working either. So I'm, I'm trying to learn how to, subtly do that one of the things that i've had to engage in i realized so like in you know relationships girls um girlfriend is that i've had to draw boundaries and i realized that one of the reasons that i engage in quote unquote help so much is because i'm being asked to hold space listen commiserate and suffer so often um which is like i'm not i I realize if people could talk they would often say i'm not looking for advice I'm looking for you to be with me, see me in my pain, hold space for my pain, and maybe even um, commiserate with me, suffer alongside me. And I think that that can be a loving thing to do with someone from, you know, as when you are capable. But I'm realizing that I have to draw like boundaries of of my amount of capacity to do that because the the way that I've tried to draw boundaries in the past is by being like, we're going to talk about advice. We're going to talk about things to do. Because I cannot continue to suffer in this cycle for longer. And so what I'm trying to do is in those experiences say, I'm realizing that I'm moving into advice that you clearly don't want to hear or receive. And, and this is the toughest thing for me. And so I'm so sorry to say this, but I, like, I can't have, I, I need to like either get off the phone or stop this conversation or stop this energy because it hurts me to commiserate and suffer alongside you and I don't have even to just like you know like a therapist would hold the space I am too close to you to neutrally hold space while I watch you spin wheels suffer miss things and not be receptive to advice and so it's been hard for me to say with love I I can't be the one that you talk to about this topic until such a time that like you're more open to either advice or you see it in a perspective that I can doesn't I don't find so difficult um and I think that's part of the codependency thing that I talked about is like uh 
yeah, just realizing that in an attempt to be loving, I have just with the, those close to me, like I have infinite, you're always in, you're always in. I will always engage on a topic. I will always talk to you about it. Now I'll, I'll give advice that you don't want. I'll, I'll not be helpful in ways that you're trying to receive it, but I'm always open for that. And I'm having to realize that in order to be better at not stepping on people, getting in their way by telling them what they need to do when they don't want to hear it, I've got to say, we can't, this conversation, this thing for now has to be like ended and paused and we can, because I'm just, yeah, I'm moving into change you mode and that's not helpful to you right now. I can fix you. <laughs> Copyright <laughs> strike. Oh man, <laughs> my first time guys, sorry. Um, I have a thing I wanted to bring up, not that if you're cool with. No, I'm not going to. No. <laughs> All right, back to you. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports mm-hmm. created a company called Brick Watch Company. Uh, this is now a week or two ago and got destroyed on the internet because um, he created $2,400 like that price point watches, mm-hmm. which were very nice branded watches made with stainless steel. Um, and I thought when I first... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First saw his video drop that it was like a cool idea. He's uh, creating made in the USA. Uh, he's got it. Five hundred dollars is going to a charity mm-hmm. um, per a, sale of per like, sale. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, I know nothing about watches, so I didn't. I didn't. Don't wear one. Don't know. And then two days later, the internet exploded <laughs> uh, because they were like, these are. Manufacturer cost around 40 bucks to make. Uh, so I did some digging in the comments and then became a watch connoisseur through the comments. <laughs> and I can now inform you, they're probably around 100 or 200 or $300 max of like per they watch. They sell for 2200 And they smell, they smell for, they, <laughs> they sell for $2,200. Um, they're mechanical or automatic movements. And Dave made a response. It's like, I got haters. People don't under know. They think I'm trying to scam people. Like these watches are $2,400. They have the value of a $2,400 watch. They're Rolexes without the brand. And I came to you and told you this and we freaked out because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he missed, I think, a crucial part of the brick watch company, which is a luxury brand. Mm-hmm. People are buying it for the luxury. Everyone knows you can get a thing that tells the time yeah. and is made of stainless steel. And... It was just very interesting to learn a little bit about the watch connoisseurs mm-hmm. and uh, see his response to an industry. It just seemed like he was just like, no one knows anything about watches. I'll just make a company because no one knows about watches. These are just Rolexes without yeah. the brand and it'll work. It's like if I tried to make a purse company because I realized that women were spending way too much money on purses and Gucci is just the same bag that you can get elsewhere with a label slapped on it. <laughs> and then I made a this bag. This is just leather. Yes, and then I made a bag at half the price and then yelled at everybody who didn't want to buy it Yeah, because they're silly for paying for brand when they oughtn't. The other thing that you did mention is, you know, apparently there's a difference between quartz movement and actual mechanical wound watches. He thought that wound watches are silly, but that's what people want in the same way that car connoisseurs want. They want a manual stick shift. It's not yes. as easy as an automatic, but that's, you're paying for that, yes. that's what you like about it is the higher performance at the cost of m- perhaps more interaction. Yeah. So when I step back, I can't read minds. One of the things that I felt is like, this seems like an idea born out of how do I exploit dumb people was like the thought. Like, I don't, th- I don't think it's right that watches are doing as much sales as they're doing. I think that these people are silly. Maybe I can get them to be silly with me instead. I think he literally said, I felt like an idiot for buying a Rolex one time mm-hmm. and was like, why did I pay 10K for this watch? Mm-hmm. And then there's the idea. Yes. And yeah, so I think broadly any product, if you figure it has like a utility that you'll pay for the thing and then there's status associated with it and utility plus status winds up being the end price and washes and watches, purses, high-end vehicles, all, all kinds of things. 
the status side of that equation is usually bigger than the utility of being able to store your lipstick or tell the time, right? right? That, that in order to get the status, you would have to influence culture to such a degree that people preferred your quartz-driven <laughs> stainless steel watch, which is a heavy, heavy lift to do to convince people that that is how to get status. Right. Status is built... I gosh, it'd be so interesting. Maybe I should research this. Like, how is status built? The people who have successfully created built. luxury brands. Year one. I, that's a really interesting question. Did those emerge necessarily over decades? Or can you build a luxury status? Like, Teslas are a great example of a status symbol that was fresh out the gate, really hot. There was something that you said that reminded me of another point. Let me dig through here. Oh, it was the idea of things growing over time. So I spoke to an interesting guy this week who is the showrunner to the Castlevania series of Netflix. Um, a lot of things that I could say about that and probably will on Patreon if you guys want to check that out. I talk more about my specific business learnings in Patreon, whereas this I try to go like meta and say really interesting things. Um, the patrons have actually really enjoyed me going hyper-specific. So if you guys want to check that out, you can join Patreon. Link is in the description of the YouTube channel. But one of the things that occurred to me as we were talking about IP on, on our call was that if you think of the really valuable IP, like Marvel, or you can even make a, you could make a Power Rangers movie, you could make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, what often happens, with a few exceptions, Game of Thrones notably, uh, Harry Potter kind of exploded on the scene, but even this matches it, is that IP that becomes valuable is stuff that children love. It's not the greatest stuff. It's like, if you go back and watch the original X-Men, you of the cartoon that I watched, and you rip out the nostalgia, and you look at the story arcs and storytelling, it's not that impressive. If you showed it to an adult, they wouldn't fall in love with it. But what happens is, as that market ages, you get in there with those kids. I've got a brand for you. Let's go, dude. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's Toy Reviews. 20, 30 years later, those people are earning money. And in, now an X-Men movie, you couldn't create a better... Like, I would argue that, say, something that didn't have that experience like the Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass, the movie's really good, you know, but just didn't have that impact. Right. Uh, because if you get in there when people are kids, they have an impossible-to-achieve level of reverence for a particular IP. And I would say the person on the planet that has most exemplified this is The Rock. Like, The Rock, early in his career, was beloved by children. That was his entire shtick. He was the most famous WWE, which is for kids. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of men in that, in the uh, dr beer-drinking dudes in that um, arena. I don't know that they're as crazy about The Rock as the people that were his contemporary, not his contemporaries, that were children and grew up alongside that. And okay. then and that's why he's the biggest movie star in the world, in my opinion. In his 50s, you know what I mean? Not when he was young and, you know, that was one thing. It's His audience has aged up with him. Um, and it was just interesting to think that one of the big ways that IP works is by just like a fine wine maturing over time. Like if you wanted to do a 30-year play to have something really valuable you should just make children's content right. <laughs> with characters that have could be reimagined more darkly, you know, or more uh, more adult. And in 30 years, if you had the big show, that could be your thing. Now, I'm not talking like Coco Melon Small. I'm talking like elementary school, interesting. Power Rangers for me, Ninja Turtles for me. And the way that IP works is when it you think about, he was describing in a video, not on our call, but... What makes a movie sell? And he's like, one, a movie star. Two, a major director. Three, intellectual property. Very like, this is, this is actually what does it 95% of the time. Um, because when you're making the decision of what movie to see, what movie not, it's just like a hair of interest in Power Rangers. Just a tiny bit of curiosity. Where if it was people dressed up in suits that weren't called the Power Rangers, you wouldn't care. It gets you to watch the trailer, and it gets you to think about that, and you multiply that by the nation in the world, and that tiny bit of interest that is greater winds up being hundreds of millions of dollars if you make a halfway decent movie or adaptation or anything like that. So I just thought that that was interesting that IP has to, not has to, 
um, if you allow it to mature, becomes incredibly valuable. And I would say when it doesn't do that, it's just like, holy cow, this is incredible. And that's Game of Thrones, which didn't need to grow up, just came out. I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> this is, this. I didn't need to have this in my childhood to think that this is such a well-written story world and all that kind of stuff. Do you want to talk, there's another thing that you came up, the uh, little clip of Alex Ramosi, Andrew Schultz. I think we might have mentioned something like this. Uh, this is a while ago, so you're going to have to remind me. No, it was, it was, Alex Formosi was commenting on Andrew Schultz's Netflix special strategy, which was broadly, pitch it as a David versus Goliath thing, like, hey, my special for Netflix was too outrageous, they tried to take it down, I refused to take back the jokes, so I purchased it, and I'm going to be releasing it for a limited time on my own thing, and then he sold it, and then the date ended, and then he waited 15 or 30 days, and said, I hey, guess what, or actually he said, just a few more days on the end, and then he paused it, and then he re-released it, and he made more money, and then he waited another few months and he said, okay, too much demand. I can't restrain You're getting it. your timelines wrong. Right. Timeline. And this is why yeah. it matters is he made the pitch to the David versus Goliath and said, oh, we're taking down Netflix. I'm releasing this mother this shit on my own on my own website. Go buy it. Me versus Netflix. Let's go. Everyone rallied behind him to mm-hmm. support their favorite comedian who was leaving the big platforms. I thought it was a great idea. This guy's awesome. Um, he sells it for, let's say, 15 days. He says, guys amazing reception we're going to extend it for a few days so 24 48 hours more this is his second level where he's just like this it's gonna go away like i was kidding at that i was i was real you guys have with your will to keep this going i'll extend it 48 hours shuts it down leaves it down for 24 hours and goes thank you so much we all we made it like thank you guys so much um waits under 15 days, releases it for free on YouTube and then goes, we did it, guys. Now the video is up on mm-hmm. YouTube. We screwed those big platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so Alex Hermosi had made this video shortly, uh, maybe a long time ago. I don't know. It released on Congratulating Instagram. him. Yeah. Congratulating his genius business strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought that both the strategy and that cynical interpretation of it, which seemed to be... It does not matter if you lied or literally built into your marketing plan, which I know it was, was it was that entire plan of sequence was pre-planned that, that there was no reacting to the demand for it or any of that. That was totally planned um, to make as much money as possible. Uh, and just, I like both of those guys. I, I, I like them net, you know yeah, what me I mean? Too. Um, it's a bummer <laughs> that, that lying purposefully is so much a non-issue and um that you know from and that andrew did it that alex thought that it was a genius that you i mean i'm not this is a hardcore thing but it'd be, be like looking at a war machine and being like just marveling at the efficiency of that without any sort of commenting on what the moral implication of that would be Oh, it's beautiful though. Yeah, yeah, like just so beautiful at how efficient this thing thing shoots bullets like you wouldn't see. <laughs> yeah, and I, and it's and it's yeah, um I'm not they're not on the same scale of that, but yeah, this was this was how to make as much money as possible if you don't care at all about lying to your audience. This is what you would do. Mm. Um and I think it's especially unfortunate because I really do understand Lying to eat, lying to save your life, lying to protect yourself from bodily harm, lying (laughs) at the lowest, you know, from protection. I get it. To make the extra million dollars or the extra thing when you're already so wildly successful to, to squeeze out every last bit of money is a real shame, man. It's a real shame to, to do that. Um, and I'm surprised that there's not more. Well, not I don't know. Surprised? No, there was some. There was some vitriol in the comments of people who were like, "Oh, dude, great! You took my fifteen dollars and then just gave it for free fifteen days later." Yeah, and you know what would have happened if you told the truth? You wouldn't have gotten his money. Yeah, that's you, what would have happened. Every, he would have kept his money. He waited fifteen days. Seen the show a month later. Like, it's a bummer that that you want more money than people want to give you if you tell them the truth. I want your money, and I'm willing to mess with your conception of the world in order to get you to give it to me and now possession is is the law you can't get it back because that wasn't in our terms of exchange and the contract law of the united states doesn't protect you from that and you're not going to do it for 15 dollars. so i got more money 
And uh, I got it from someone who didn't want to give it to me if they'd known what the actual terms of this exchange was. That's a bummer. That's, uh, yeah, I don't like that. I think that that is not good and wrong. So, Uh, Last thing is, like, he could have just extended the timeline, and I think it would have been above board for me personally. It's like if you in three months or four months or six months, just like a movie does, release this on YouTube under a paywall, I think everyone feels good that they got to experience the limited exclusive nature of this, and then six months later... You can also say this is your only time to watch this in 2022. This isn't coming out to general audience. This is what movie theaters do. We all know it's coming to streaming. We all understand that. And we make an informed decision to spend more money and leave our homes to do this. You can have that model. Yep. Now, if you said it's only in theaters and you could trick people into that, you would make more money on theaters and then make more money on the back end. But like... Yeah, it's a great, great analogy. You can just say it's you're not going to get it for another year. And you could do the same thing and make less money because there are fewer people that want that exchange. Um, or you could actually only release it to your audience of pink. There's a million ways to tell the truth and get rich. And there are more ways to lie and get rich. And it's, it's a bummer. They work great, though. <laughs> they work even better. Yeah, it's a bummer. One thing that I've mentioned, which I will just... Uh, I've told this to you, but uh, moving between... Uh, the world of self-development, charisma on command, emotional mastery, and doing D&D stuff. Very fascinating because what I have experienced is kind of in some ways going back to being a nobody. To be reminded of what it is like to send an email and just get no. You know what I mean? Or nothing back as I like reach out to people related in this entertainment industry. Um, and certainly at first I was like, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm going to get my dad. He's going to beat you up. Uh, no, it was it, it bruised my ego at first, and I realized, which I think is, I, I started to, to get it, which is people exist in the minds of other people as less than they are necessarily. We can't conceive of the whole depth of every human on the planet. And so if I reach out to you as, you know, I want to do a streaming show related to confidence or charisma, you look at my success and confidence and charisma. You size me up. You think that that could be good for you. I get the call back. You're friendlier to me, and it makes me feel like you like me. But what you're actually, you're responding to my two, the two-dimensional version of me that exists in your head. Uh, and when I reach out and say I'm doing this Dungeons & Dragons show, the interest is so much lower. The, uh, and it's because there's no advantage there. And there's, understandably, these people don't know me that well, there's not a belief in my general capacity as an entrepreneur. And so I was, I, I bring that up just to say, one, I was at first upset personally by it, but I now get and see, and the question that I'm asking is, um, a multi- there's several questions that I'm asking. Um, I'm still going to do it all. I don't care if people don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> but two is, uh, how do artists evolve and maintain their ability to access their audiences and I think the answer is they evolve rather than just like hard left pivoting in most cases so you know the rock goes from like athlete to WWE star to movie star so he's like in sports entertainment then he's in like play sports entertainment then he's in you know so he's he's like one degree away each time and is able to make that move and even his first move he didn't move into leading man he moved into scorpion king villain which is who the rock was in wwe and if you look at his career i wonder if it was on purpose or if it was just a result of the dynamics that i'm describing which are people won't accept you but he made one degree of movement each way and he went from football star to most famous hollywood actor and those are worlds apart but he did it one degree at a time uh and so i was thinking what does that look like for me and certainly this podcast is like charisma on command podcast that is about you know, psychedelic some and emotional mastery. Uh, but D&D is a hard pivot. Yeah. And I'm going to have to uh, either build that as a nobody, which I'm totally cool with, or think about if there's a series of steps that lets me pivot to that. But honestly, that's I'm probably too impatient for that. Childish Gambino, if you're familiar with yeah, who that is. Lover. And um, Lil Dicky. Childish good- Gambino is really impressive when I think about his range. Think about Lil Dicky too. He parlayed a rap career into mm-hmm. his own show. And it's like, those are same thing with The uh, the Rock. But yeah, Childish Gambino's gone three three levels. He's mm-hmm. done like what? 
don't know. I think he started as like supporting actor, and then he was music. I think I think one of the things with music, I was thinking about this because one of the ones like Jared Leto, boom, he's got Thirty Seconds to Mars. I think music is so easy and so short of an attention span to know if someone is excellent. You need about six seconds to t- to tell if somebody's fantastic, and Jared Leto's undeniable. And I think Childish Gambino, I'm not into the music, but it's undeniable to some people, you know? Yes. Uh, and so that's different versus, are you going to go sit down at a movie or watch my opening? Those, those are just longer investments. I agree with you, the undeniable. I don't think Childish Gambino was undeniable. He wasn't the biggest rapper. He was a good rapper that had very clever bars, but was not like, oh, he's going to be an incredible actor and writer for a TV show. He was, I think, first an actor. I could be wrong. Okay. I think he went supporting actor in Community, Childish Gambino, uh, uh, sort of like supporting lead in Solo. And now he's got his, he's in a lot of different things. What's that look like for Charlie from Chris Monk? <laughs> I know Dungeon would, Master. I know what it would look like for me as if I, uh, I don't want to, you know, it, what I will do is the evolution of um, our you know, doing this podcast to psychedelics, to all that. I see that thread very clearly. And then there's this thing out here, which is D&D, but we don't need to go deep in that. We can go talk about the specifics on in Patreon. Um, awesome. Let me see if there's other stuff that we can chat about broadly. I have uh, one, which mm-hmm. is our friend came over and showed us OpenAI, which mm. is a really interesting program um, called OpenAI.com. It was, I could ask it who made it, but it's like <laughs> a couple tech company billionaires created this website which has a number of products like a um picture generator that's the so, one that everybody's seen on their instagram which is dale or dale or there's the picture ones that you've seen on your instagram where people are posting shots of themselves from different eras love that yeah the one that we were playing with was a text prompt which is like write me we did write me a charisma on command script we were dumb about confidence and uh it was Better than WikiHow by a large margin and about your average blog post is what I would say, which is, you know, you must make good eye contact. It was, it was as good as Cosmo Magazine's tips for men. There's nothing super specific in there, but there's nothing really wrong in there. And it was fun to play with. We had, we had a good time. Yeah, it's fun to think about. It's a great way for uh, what Evan said was writer's block, which mm-hmm. I understood too, which is like, I have an idea, but let me ask this thing a question and see if it can help me formulate. So I'd have my YouTube channel for Henry Hoops. I was like, what are the differences between John Morant and uh, Russell Westbrook? And it came up with like three nuanced things that I, like they're both athletic, but it was like, no, John Morant is more of a playmaking athletic guard. Mm. And uh, (laughs) I was like, (laughs) damn it. Uh, (laughs) If this this thing came up with stats too and like a couple other nuanced points, I would be, uh, all the YouTubers would be done. Well, no, there are, I actually think there is a difference between Charisma on Command and that. There's a lot of YouTube channels that condense and consolidate and make bite-sized news Wikipedia things, did you knows. And this is going to just do that work for them and the people who have the best synergy between AI and the end product, which by the way, there's also a, a product that I haven't used, but that our friend told me today it's not AI, but it will take all of the words out of a video. And then rather than edit in a timeline of visuals, you can edit the words out. And as you cut the words, it cuts the video. So if I, I can control F all of the ums, and it'll slice out all of my ums. Oh, that's messed up. When you think about the way that people, and it seems like the interface, there's an intermediate step of, yes, they're going to just farm out a lot of this basic content writing to this, but there's a huge intermediate step like you described of, human AI interaction and similar to how people who can use Google well can get more out of the world, like people who can use these AIs well and use it for idea generation and then honing in and then give it the the feedback that it needs to make the right thing are very valuable. And then the other thing that I realized is that we had to write some poems. Beautiful poems. Some of them sucked and I thought one was very good. I don't know that I'm right, but it was like, oh, the next generation of people, if, if you're getting just this wave of stuff, and right now the AI makes one as easily as it makes the other, taste becomes the defining factor. Like, does your taste align with what an audience is interested in? That's a very valuable thing because I, the AI couldn't tell which of its poems was better than the other at this point. And I was like, that one 
It's fantastic. And that one is garbage, in my opinion. But if my opinion matches a general audience and I submit that poem to be read in a collection of poems and it touches a lot of people's lives, now my interaction with this AI becomes a valuable one. So very interesting to think and see how that's going to just transform so much. Uh, I still think there's place for charisma on command because what it hasn't done yet, it's sort of just averages the internet and throws it at you, but it doesn't carve new ground. It could spit out an average charisma on command video for sure. I believe that and it'll get better at that, but it can't do the next insight. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, this is why I'm, will Donald Trump win or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, I wonder if you are underappreciating or what is the word undervaluing or overvaluing the human experience as being something that can't be quantified. No, I, I just think it's not there yet. yet. But you think eventually? I'm sure there's a series of algorithms that, that run within me that 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 are load me to see Donald Trump in a particular way and pull out particular things, but that's just not what I saw in OpenAI. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that poem was really good. Yes, but it was also the average of other... It was a poem that dealt with autumn and winter. You yes. know what I mean? And it was... This is an average of every poem. <laughs> also, probably, you know why I liked it, is probably because I don't have a lot of experience with poems, and uh, so I'm not immune to autumn and winter metaphors, which have been written a trillion times by a, th by a trillion other poets. So to me, that was really good because I don't read a lot of poetry. And I bet you a, a poet would be like, dude, this is, this is high school, you know? I am a high school level reader. I'm a high school level poetry reader. Yes. So do we have anything else? I think that's it for me. I've got, that's my list. Beautiful. Thank you all. We're going to hop over to Patreon in just a moment. And I'm doing a slightly different thing. We're doing a selection of questions from people who have submitted them. They're generally the questions that apply to the most people, which sounds like people are enjoying and also, I'm trying to go deep on what I've learned this week, often within business, sometimes about myself, but uh, was actually pleasantly surprised that people seem to like that level of specificity about whatever the project is I'm doing. So if you want to check that out, come over, see it on Patreon. Either way, appreciate you watching, and we will see you next time. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.